IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On this show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week, we review albums and we hash out trends. In this episode we'll be discussing a new album by Modest Mouse and a classic album by The Shins. My name is Stephen Hyden, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Ian Cohen. Ian, how are you? All right, so I'm going to have to begin by preemptively apologizing to uh, our loyal fans who have come to expect a certain bit in this uh, part of the episode. I've just not made a lot of progress on Billions in the past week. Uh, Oh, man, really? Why? (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, because um, I I do have a good excuse. So, you know, I've not seen our streaming numbers. I don't know the the demographics, but, you know, just kind of based on our mailbag, I'm assuming that per capita, California is not one of our stronger markets. Um, But... I'll just so they're out surfing, yeah. they're out like cruising in, in, yeah. in convertibles and uh, listening to happy music and so forth. Yeah, all my knowledge of the of California is from Beach Boys songs, so uh, very ignorant <laughs> of California apparently. Yeah, so on Tuesday, um, the fifteenth, they instituted more or less a hey, let's all get back to normal law. Like you know, you can go to the gym without a mask anymore. Uh, Padres games are full capacity. Um, and I guess like one of the biggest indicators of how, if not back to normal, we're like in the kind of, well, let's just throw our hands up. Uh, we're going to get back to normal regardless, uh, mindset that's being taken is that I, I don't know if you've seen this week, just how many bands are playing these just ridiculously stacked shows. Like everyone is just taking advantage of the opportunity where, uh, everyone's got a little more money to spend and they will do whatever to go to a show. Um, and so, I mean, I, I, I'm just like so shocked at how compressed this, um, th- th- this fall is going to be that I've already gone from, Oh, like, I mean, you remember, like, I, I don't know, it would have been like six months ago or even like three months ago where it could have been. I, like, I don't care if it's rush hour traffic in L.A. on a Tuesday. Like, I will pay $100 to see Idols with Ice Age opening. Like, I just need live music that badly. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll go see, uh, you know, Nickelback cover Robin Thicke's Paula. That actually sounds... Entirety. I would see that yeah. I would see that right now, actually. That sounds pretty amazing. But, yeah, for me, it's not... Like, it's gone... It Just in the past week, it's gone from... I am like booking out every single weekend in August and September to go to LA too. Uh, yeah, this show's good, but it's on a Monday night and and, and I got to work the next morning. So right, I, mean, I, th- I know it, it's crazy. It's crazy how quickly you revert back <laughs> to your uh, sloth self before the pandemic, where you were like, ah, "It's a Tuesday night." Do I want to stay up until uh, one o'clock in the morning? You know, by going to the show. Yeah, I mean, there are two opening bands. Ugh, I don't know. Man. Yeah, I know. Like, it's so pathetic. I, I, I'm in a similar situation. I, and you're right. August and September are going to be bananas. I don't know how we're going to do any shows in that time yeah. because I, I feel like we'll probably both just be going to concerts all the time. It, it it's just insane. Yeah. Uh, how, how stacked the fall is going the biggest, to be. The biggest indicator to me is that uh, Joyce Manor announced a show at the Palladium in Hollywood, which is like a 3,800 cap room. And, you know, they were scared in 2019 that they were, when they played with like Jeff Rosenstock and AJJ, that it's like, oh, you know, we're worried that it's going to be half full. They sold out 
that same venue in like a day with turnover and right. Tiger's jaw. They had to make a second show. Like people are just people are just gonna. I think the first show I'm going back to uh, is Turnstile. So <laughs> you can only imagine what that's gonna be like. I'm going to a, a jam bam festival in Eau Claire next month. That's going to be my first show back. So I'm excited for that. And yeah, there's a bunch of things yeah. that I'll be going to later on. Um, yeah, it's going to be really fun. Hey, I I wanted to run something by you quick. I have an idea oh. for, you know, there's going to be a, a sequel to Joker. This is a million dollar idea. I want to share it with you because there's going to be a sequel to Joker. Oh. Joker 2. Uh-huh. Uh, they're already making this. I don't know if uh, I, I know Todd Phillips is co-writing the screenplay, so maybe he's an indie head and he listens to our show. So this is my idea for Joker Two. Joaquin Phoenix he gets on Twitter and he sends one tweet <laughs> complaining about optimism oh, or or calling Olivia Rodrigo uh, overrated and in, in teenage or music chewy. and adults shouldn't like it. Like he sends one tweet and then he just watches. Twitter burned to the ground <laughs> from that one tweet, from people arguing with this one tweet that, you know, yeah, they're, they feel like story. they have to, they have to, uh, yeah, look, I'm poking fun at something that was a big deal, I guess, in our corner of the internet yeah. this week. There was a viral tweet from somebody, I forget the exact wording, but it was something like Pitchfork. Oh yeah, fooled people into thinking that pop stars were important, and it's just girls on pills. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's like this isn't something like that. Yeah, this isn't the the voice of our uh, national culture. It's just some girl on pills. Which you know what? Like I guess that shows the progress we've made in ten years or so. Not even ten years, because like two years ago, maybe even like a year ago, the like the there was there you would see like every six months someone would make a ha 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 like remember when they fooled us into liking animal collective and dirty projectors <laughs> it's true like people who are like it's, pop fans saying that so yeah it's totally flipped yeah the other way yeah we're, we're we have we're like so back to normal it's like flipped on its head it's like a bizarro normal now but it, it was like three or four days of discourse over this one uh, tweet. Yeah, we are so bored. Uh, then we have to talk about poptimism oh, for three God. or four days. Yeah. And, uh, and again, it's this phenomenon. And we have to shout out Kill a Cow. Yeah. Again, Twitter user at Kill a Cow. Yeah. The, 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 which I think has become maybe the defining tweet of like the last year or two of, of Twitter. Yeah. Where his tweet was to the effect of, you know... I saw someone argue that Steph Curry can't even shoot. Yeah. This idea of like arguing with nobody. It's inventing a guy um, and arguing with that guy. Like that is, yes, that is and, Twitter. <laughs> or taking one tweet or two tweets from like some random crank yeah. and then blowing that up uh-huh. into a cause that you have to defend. Yeah. So we are actually having this conversation over and over again, it seems this year, about you know whether it's okay for adults to listen to, to, to teenage music or to engage in youth culture which again i feel like this has been settled yeah long ago yeah. and the kids won yeah you... they dominate everything so why are we arguing about this all the time it's just hilarious to what me. else are we gonna do i mean <laughs> it's a slow yeah, it's, they... it's a slow release week you know that might be we kind of hinted at that by the fact that we're talking about like an album that's out in a week and an album that's 20 years old today <laughs> i'm just saying joker 2 
Yeah. Like Joker 2, one tweet. Straight, this is going to be like the straight to DVD version of like, it will be like <laughs> Joker 5. Like once they've like completely wrung out all of like the side plots for Joker, it's just going to be like straight up internet based. We're going to get not Joaquin Phoenix, but like just some like fifth, like fifth rate variation on them. Like, like the American Pie movies, like once... All the people right. in the original got too famous to be in the It'd be sequels. Like, like Jamie Kennedy. Yeah, we're, we're going to get like Bre- Bre- or like Brecken Meyer or something like that. <laughs> Brecken Meyer kind of has like a Joker like smile. Yeah, actually, really. Jamie Kennedy was apparently in a, in, in a quasi canceled movie recently. That was oh yeah, yes. wasn't like a pro. It was like a pro. Yeah, life he movie, got. He, he said he got like tricked into being like in a in an abortion truther movie or something like that. Be, I hate it when that happens. Yeah, I, 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 happens I, I hate it when I get tricked into yeah being you know, in like being a, a, a abortion movie into being like a right wing QAnon. I mean, it, it happens <laughs> to the best of us. So I don't know. Maybe Jamie Kennedy's ready to get his career back on the track. So Jamie, if you're listening, if you're one of the rare Californians who is a loyal IndieCast listener, uh, your people, my people, let's 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 talk. Oh, how wild would it be if Jamie Kennedy wrote us an email? I would. That would be amazing. Right. Jamie. I know you're listening, Jamie. Write us an email. Just say, yo, what's up? I, you know, long time listener, first time writer. You don't even have to like ask us. Maybe he would ask us a, a question about, uh, I wonder what Jamie Kennedy would be into. Like what era of indie well, rock? Well, I mean, Malibu's most wanted is kind of his like, uh, his, defi- his like magnum opus. So perhaps. Okay. But then again, that's Maybe, like, like. backpack rap? Maybe he's yeah, like a backpack like it, fan? It's, it's definitely like uh, post Eminem sort of rap yeah. so i don't know i like I, I i do think that but malibu's most wanted was him a senator arranges for his son a rich white kid who fancies himself black to be kidnapped by a couple of black actors pretending to be murderers and shock him out of his plans become a rapper huh oh that's I mean, uh that's not a movie that would be made now <laughs> probably not i mean i feel like scream is probably his peak you know oh. he wasn't the star but like that's the it's probably his best film. All right. I don't well, know. I have to, I've, I'm going to dig into the Jamie Kennedy uh, canon this over yeah. the weekend and figure out what his yeah, best th- movie th- is. Yeah, this is like a two-episode arc for IndieCast. <laughs> we, we've once again pivoted at the will of the people who we just yeah. made up. So You know who would be great? You know, what would be great for Jamie, Jamie Kennedy? Get a guest shot on Billions. Maybe oh, he could yeah. be like Axe's like yeah. ne'er-do-well younger brother. or Yeah, or his asshole cousin or something like that. <laughs> Oh. Okay, you know, well, since you brought up like semi cancellation here, <laughs> oh, I, great. I, I wanted to bring up something, yes. and, I, and maybe I'm not allowed to say this name in music media now, but I realized um, a few days ago that one Ryan Adams put out an album last week oh. called called Big Colors, and <laughs> I was completely unaware of this. I had no idea that this happened, and I googled. Ryan Adams' big colors, and I think like literal like uh, you know tumbleweed blew out of my computer screen. Like there was no coverage of this at all. Huh. Of there was no news announcements. There were no reviews of it. Oh um, yeah. Um, I think there was like one think piece about it huh. that someone wrote. <laughs> And it wasn't a review of the record. It was basically saying that Ryan Adams needs to own up to uh, his mistakes and address the allegations made in that New York Times story from a couple years ago. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I, I don't know if you noticed this too. It, to me, this is um, 
unprecedented. I I, do, I can't remember an instance where, obviously, we've had musicians that have had scandal yeah. in their past, but typically, you still will hear about a new record that they're putting out, or maybe someone will do a review, and it'll be a negative review, but at least they're acknowledging it. But there's been this sort of unspoken ban of Ryan Adams everywhere. Yeah, I, I guess we we just got it. We just got to say first and foremost that I know that deplatforming is effective. Uh, you know, the fact that like Donald Trump isn't on Twitter anymore has been you know a source of great joy and relief for people. So like, look, the fact that we're mentioning him, I don't think this is like. Uh, an example of like, oh, we're promoting him or whatever. Like if he somehow like gets back into the spotlight off the strength of an indie cast mention, then <laughs> you know what? I'll apologize for that. But yeah, I do think it's like, yeah. I, I think it's just kind of like, just, just from a perspective of like, what must it be like to go into the studio and complete this record knowing that like, no one's going to want to touch it at all. Like it must, it's, it, it it's an, because we, we've seen this before. Because, like, remember, it, there were a couple years ago. Um, now, the most complete cancellation I've ever seen in ours is probably Power Bottom. But, like, there was right. there was an – I think it was Billboard. And I think it was maybe la- last year. Like, my concept of time has been so warped by, uh, you know, COVID-19 that there was they, – They, they, they had did a follow-up. Of, yeah. The, or at least one of the members had a comeback album. That sort well, of I think it was like talking about the possibility of a comeback. Okay. And then there was such a negative reaction that I assume that just went away. Yeah. Because I haven't unless that came out and no one talked about it. Yeah. But I don't know. I didn't hear anything else about that after that story. Um what what's interesting to me about the Ryan Adams thing, and I don't want to get into the allegations and all that. That that's been talked about. Yeah. I don't want to hash that out. I also don't want men's rights activists in our mentions oh, God. complaining about that. Like so let's just set that aside for a moment. Yeah. I'm what intrigues me about this is well, there's a couple things. Number one, is it fair to say that he was canceled? Because there's no question that he's been diminished. Yeah significantly in terms of his media coverage. Yeah. But to cite your power bottom example, you can go on any streaming platform yeah. and hear his music. His music is basically as, as accessible as it's ever been. I remember actually when, cause he put out a record in December, I think. Oh yeah, he a, did. Yes. I remember I got you an email that. from, I got an email from Spotify telling <laughs> me that there was a new Ryan Adams album. Jesus. So, you know, you talk about us giving him a platform by just mentioning his name in yeah. this episode. I mean, this is like the biggest streaming platform in the world, sending emails out to people saying that he has a new record. So, yeah. like, you know, he's still available and he's still accessible to people. The only difference is that the media apparently has decided that uh, they're not interested in talking about him anymore. And um, it made me think about how, you know, if you were to compare him to like say other alt rock troubadour alt country troubadours in their <laughs> mid 40s. Yeah. Is it is it really that different? Yes. Like <laughs> cuz I mean like, you get if if like what but, but, if, but think but think about like Jay Farrar for instance. Like Jay Farrar isn't getting tons of coverage for like a new Sunvolt record, which by the way he's put out some good Sunvolt records in the last few years. He's getting maybe a little bit more coverage. But <laughs> I guess my I guess I guess the point I'm trying to make is that there's very few artists that uh, the media has to cover because they're so popular and, yeah. and significant. And that really, like 99% of the time, 
the people who get covered get covered because people in the media have decided that this person is good or they're interesting. You know, there's there's a a great dis- degree of discretion, I guess, in how things get covered. And Ryan Adams, in a way, you know, it's like he has an audience, but he's not so popular that you have to cover his records yeah. at this point. Yeah, it's. It, I, I think it's a so little that, bit. Of an, so that's. It's a little so bit. That of aspect an of it is interesting. Yeah, it's a little bit arbitrary about like who people decide to and who don't. I mean, like people were like kind of dying to like not talk about him anyway uh, for a while. But yeah, I mean, I, I was I was actually going to bring up Jay Farrar myself. Like, yeah, that's an example of someone who you know they'll put out an album, but at least they'll get like covered in some publication. I mean, like blogs need material, but yeah, I mean, I just I'm, I'm like wondering if there's going to be like like a gonzo young music journalist who like takes it upon themselves to, you know, really listen to like the, the, like the canceled power bottom album or the Ryan Adams albums or like the sun kill moon album that came out this past year or like that one, uh, post jank album that came out and like, was just like, not at all well received. Um, just to see like, like there's just this going to be this kind of like dark web of post canceled, material and like i just wonder if like ryan Adams is actually writing about that experience you know well this album i think the albums that he's put out uh, were made before oh. uh the whole thing happened because i remember big colors coming up oh. before that new york times story dropped so um i don't think those records are necessarily reflecting on that i guess i'm curious speaking to your point about how long is this going to last with him? <laughs> it, because I feel like eventually, and he puts out so many albums, I think eventually he will get covered. But I, I don't know. Like the Power Bottom example to me is a little more troubling. I'm not a fan of like records just being black holed uh, and not exist. Like someone pushes a button and they don't exist anymore. That feels a little weird to me. I understand the rationale if you're a record company and you don't want to be associated with a certain band and feel like you're profiting off a band mm-hmm. that you don't agree with anymore. I, I, I understand that, but I don't know this Ryan Adams solution mm-hmm. in a way seems the most fair. Yeah. Because, <laughs> because he's not obligated to get covered. Like no. there's no like law that Ryan Adams needs to be covered. But like, if you're a fan of him, you can go hear his records if you want. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're as accessible as they ever were. So, uh, you know, so so if people are saying that he was canceled, I don't know if he has been. I I, I guess it's hard to define what yeah, that is. Maybe he'll be in this like Woody Allen making movies in Europe, like that exclusively <laughs> come out in Europe phase. I don't know. I, yeah. I, I I frankly could give a shit because you know even he hadn't made a good record since God knows when. So uh, well, that's the other thing yeah. too is that he's in a period of his career like where he's not really making significant records. It seems like he's beyond that now and he was already probably moving toward more of a cult status anyway where there's a group of people that really love his music yeah and they're gonna you know just buy anything that he puts out and yeah you can still do that society society has progressed beyond the need for ryan adams so (laughs) yeah it seems like it It definitely seems like it we we, Um, we've 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 progressed as a culture so so let's get to our mailbag segment. And uh, again, thanks to everyone who's written in mm-hmm. uh, to our show. Uh, if you want to write us, our email address is IndieCastMailbag at gmail.com. 
So we love to hear from you. This letter today comes from a listener in Australia, which is Again, awesome. Another one of our best markets. Yeah, we do great in Australia. Yeah. We're like big Australian market. We got to get down to Australia. Yeah. We got to get, um, I'll hit up Uprox. Yeah. And I'll be like, hey, you know. Uprox down you, under. I mean, it's got a really good <laughs> ring to it. Can you drop like 10, I don't even know how much it costs to fly to Australia. <laughs> I, I feel like it'd probably be expensive, but uh, I think it'd be worth it to, to meet up with our Australian uh, pals down there. Uh, the uh, listener's name is Katie. Katie, thank you for writing in. Uh, she says, just want to start off by saying how much I look forward to your episodes every week. I'm recovering from a brain injury at the moment. Oh, man, yeah. Katie. Oof. Which means I can't really use my eyes or cognitive process as much. So, like, reading or watching Billions, for example. Oh, but she can still make a Billions joke. Okay, man. great. Katie, I hope you're doing okay. That's That sounds rough. Um, so... I wanted to write in following your Bonnie Bear conversation. I was in seventh grade when For Emma Forever Go came out, and I can confirm your suspicions, Steve. And I think she's saying that, like, I think I said in that episode that I think for, like, a generation of people, Bonnie Bear was probably, like, their middle school music or their high school music right. that they associate with that time. So I think she's probably alluding to that. So sometimes I hear skinny love out in the world and I have flashbacks of the many whispery Julia Stone accented covers uh. of MySpace photos of hunched shoulders and uh, Turner and feet. Turner and feet? Uh, I'm not sure what that is. <laughs> we need to do uh, some Australian being, research. <laughs> uh, being in the interim of LimeWire breaking and streaming where the only way I could listen to new music for free was crouched next to the speaker of my family computer in the kitchen with the volume turned up to the loudest non-annoying volume. I actually tried to do a re-listen to the album last year, and it was autumn and lockdown, and no. <laughs> so I feel like Justin Vernon will be in the locker of 2007, at least for a while, which I don't know about your time in 7th and 8th grade, but gosh, not the funnest time to return to. Yes, I agree with that. Kind of a negative nostalgia, at least at this point in time. Would love to hear your negative nostalgia stories if you have any. Or something that you maybe liked at the time and is considered classic or at least good, but you can't listen to now. Keep up the good work, guys. Katie. Katie, thanks for writing in, and I hope you feel better soon. Uh, glad that we can yeah, keep you entertained a little bit uh, during this time. Um, so, yeah, she's asking, basically. She says that like, when she listens to Bunny Bear, she can acknowledge that this is a classic record, but it takes her to a time in her life that was not very fun. No. So it's hard for her to listen to that record at this moment. Um, so she's asking us if there's records like that for us. <laughs> Are there any records like that for you? So, you know, I'm always just perplexed when there's this widespread antipathy towards things like, you know, a ska or whatever, where it's like, it was like a niche culture that like people just don't like the, they don't like the style of it. But when I think of like seventh to 10th grade, which is of course one of the most formative times in one's youth, um, a big part of my social life at that time was going to bar mitzvahs and Jewish youth group, particularly like reformed Jewish youth group, which is like barely Jewish flavored like camp. You know, it, like the religious component is it's not like Christian youth group, like believe me. But, you know, I don't know what it is about like Jewish kids in the mid-Atlantic who ended up like going to places like Syracuse, the University of Maryland. But like Dave Matthews band just spoke to these kids, man. And that 
artist just dominated that time of my life so thoroughly and like I just cannot stand that music and like I see like every now and again you'll get like people trying to like you know reassess it's like well actually it's very progressive music like if you think Shout about out, it uh Riley Walker yeah in regard. he's been a big <laughs> proponent yes he has and you know what at least it was busted stuff that he was trying to do which I've you know I've given the, I've given a chance but you know, well, he, he did like the Lily White sessions. Yeah, no, that's, that's the one the, he did. Yes, the Lily that's White the one sessions. he covered. And yeah, so it, it's music like that. That and I've talked about this with like Haim and Vampire Weekend. How they, as artists and just their taste, just remind me of like the popular kids in Jewish youth group who like <laughs> you wanted to hate them, but they were actually they kind of super nice. And I mean, I also went to the University of Virginia in 1998. If you know, if you don't know, this is where Dave Matthews Band is from. I guess there's just a subliminal part of me that just likes to be in constant conflict. My roommate in his first year had five Dave Matthews band posters and, you know, he was from Maine. So I have to assume that he partially picked this school because of Dave Matthews. And I think this, Oh yeah. Yeah. And I think that he thought he, thought he was going to run into like Carter Beaufort. You like probably were like, that's something. it's like, Oh yeah, man. I remember when <laughs> I, I saw Leroy at, uh, I saw Stefan, the bassist at, uh, Miller's, but yeah, I, you know, I have to say, like, I went to school uh, in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, yeah. around this time. I went to college, and Dave Matthews was also huge there too. Yeah, I, th- that was just like the peak of DMB mania, especially yeah. if you were in the vicinity of a college campus. I walked from one end of campus to the other, and I heard a different Dave Matthews song coming out of some dorm window the entire walk. I mean, that's how big that guy was. So. I actually have a, the same answer in a oh. way of my negative nostalgia. I think I was very reactionary against Dave Matthews <laughs> for a long time because it was so ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, I feel like though that we've touched on this topic in the past. I know you've talked about how in emo mm-hmm. that a lot of times you know there's this phenomenon where you know people grow up with emo and then they get older and they go into indie rock yeah. reacting against their emo past and then they eventually come back around yeah and i know for me like in my 20s i had negative nostalgia about grunge and alternative huh. rock and it really wasn't until my early 30s that i went back to that and i think that there's something that happens in your 20s mm-hmm. where you're very reactionary against how you were as a teenager because you're almost embarrassed by how you were yeah. at that age and and you're so close to it that you can still feel this visceral reaction to this former self of uh, of you and then you get a little bit older and you get more distance and you actually want to reconnect with your younger self because that's part of your history and there's something i know for me it was like I want to reconnect with this music because it's it, it's part of me. And like to cut this out, it's like I'm cutting out a part of myself in a way. Uh, so I guess my what I would say to Katie is that I think eventually she's going to come back around yeah. on Bunny Bear because she'll be like, well, actually, I was pretty cool when I was in seventh grade. Yeah, that was a painful time. <laughs> but that music helped me at that time. And it's part of my heritage in a way. So I want to re-embrace that. I mean, don't you agree? I mean, I think that's an age thing. I think at some point you get into your 30s and you don't yeah, feel the same way anymore. Exactly. I think that and, – and we've talked about this a few times about how like I'm less – I would be like less embarrassed by a best of list I made when I was 16 than I would of one that I made when I was like 28. Like I'm <laughs> – 
Right. Yeah, something just happens to you in your 20s. And I have to realize that anytime I get like kind of, you know, mad about like, you know, whatever, like the newer generations of critics are saying, you know, and it's like they have to put their stamp on things and like they have their own negative nostalgia going on. And I just also think that this speaks to the um, when we talk about like, uh, you know, people our age embracing pop music. It's like you have to remember like teens and also like people of any age. Like they will viscerally react to like w- liking the same thing as the popular kids, you know. It's like I I just think that there's this concept like oh this you know this like Olivia Rodrigo she speaks to the high school experience. I mean like but what about like the kids who like hated that stuff and listened to like Smashing Pumpkins and Alice in Chains, you know? Like they're teens too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean that's always an underrated aspect of how we want to talk about the zeitgeisty artists yeah. that there's always going to be this counter group, especially like in youth culture yeah. where, you know, yeah, like you said, you react against this thing that you hear all the time in the same way that when we were college students, we reacted against Dave Matthews band because you couldn't get away from it. Yep. And I'm sure that there's kids who hear whatever the most popular stuff is and they react against it because, uh, they don't want to be part of the crowd. You know, they want to be themselves, and that's yeah. one way you can assert your iconoclastic. Alternative status. rock culture had me believing that listening to like Alice in Chains and Smashing Pumpkins made me like an outcast, as opposed to someone who was listening to like music that was every bit as popular as Dave Matthews. Yeah, exactly. You know, but Dave didn't shave his head and wear a zero T-shirt, so yeah. he's he's the man. You know, he's with. He's with the cool kids and Billy Corrigan is with the freaks. Yeah. You know, that was the thinking at that time. Um, well, let's get into the meat of our episode. We're going to be talking about two indie rock institutions. Yes. One of which has a new record out next week. Uh-huh. Uh, drops June 25th. There's so many albums coming out June 25th. Yeah, we're going to do like a that... lightning round episode next week. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so yeah, it was worth getting ahead yeah. uh, of this of this record by Modest Mouse. It's called The Golden Casket. Sure um, is. I believe, it's, <laughs> I believe it's their seventh record. No uh, way. They have and, to have more than that. Well, they have a lot of EPs, okay. but in terms of full-length albums, well, let's see, you have There's a Long Drive, uh-huh. the, the Lonesome Crowded West, Moon in Antarctica, Good News, When the Ship Sank, the one that came after that, that I can't remember the title of, 2015. <laughs> yeah, The Golden Casket. That's Strangers to Ourselves. Strangers to Ourselves. Strangers to Ourselves. Um, I mean, really, like in the last, I mean, since Good News for People Who Like Bad News, which came out in 2004, and that was like their big mainstream yes. breakthrough, has had flowed on on it. I think that record sold about 2 million copies, which was, I mean, that had to be the tail end of the period where a record could sell 2 million by a rock records, band yeah. could sell 2 million records. Um, so, you know, they have some serious commercial clout. But yeah, ever since then, the 17 years since then, they put out three records. Okay. Um, huh. And this, the Golden Caskets, their first record in, in six years. And um, I did an interview with Isaac Brock uh, that ran this week mm-hmm. where we talked about each Modest Mouse record, including the new one. It got a little bit of traction online because Isaac was talking about the new <laughs> record, which has a technology angle to it. And Isaac has some, uh, he's, he's kind of a conspiracy theorist, I guess. Uh, uh, I know there, there was a guy who is an expert on QAnon who read the interview and he was tweeting out excerpts from it and you know, talking about how, because you know, Isaac was talking about things like gang stalking and like uh, 
and like other things that are, I guess, and, and there's this uh, secret document that was supposedly leaked from uh, the government called, what's it called? It's like Silent Weapons in Quiet Wars. This is like the that? least surprising thing to me imaginable. <laughs> like it's like Isaac, like I, I'm almost shocked that he isn't going deeper into like conspiracy theory and such. Well, he might have, I mean, in our interview, which by the way, I just want to say that in our interview, I thought he was really funny oh. and in good spirits. Oh, I'm like sure. he wasn't, he, someone asked me this, like how he was like, because I guess some people thought he came off as angry or, or ranting in my interview. And it's like, no, he just says the F word a lot. You know, like okay. I thought he was like, it was fun to talk to him. He's a very interesting character. He's like one of the great characters of modern indie rock, I think for sure. Um, so, but yeah, he's got a lot of quirky ideas and it, it, it feeds into the record. Um, I don't know. I feel like we're on the same page with this record. Yeah. I mean, it's produced, it's produced by Jack Knife Lee and Dave Sardi, who are like two enormous LA guys. Producers. Yeah. Like, well, Very actually LA. Jack, Ni- Jack Knife Lee is British, but he, and he's also, British, but like he's worked with you too, REM, the killers. I mean, he's worked block with parties, like every block parties, a weekend in the city too. And snow, Pat- and snow patrols, final straw. So you were, you're contractually obligated to mention that black party record. Yeah. That's, and, that's their second record, right? Like that's the one that you that's feel like the is really one. Underrated. And snow patrols, final straw, which is another classic of that. I think that, uh, good news for saying that, that album, basically those are like spring of 2004. That's good nostalgia right there, man. Yeah. And well, we were talking about this too. I know you, you, you noted this in the outline, the, cause we're going to be talking about the shins here. Yeah in a minute and the parallels between modest mouse in the shins yeah. and like how were you talking about like wincing the night away? Oh and, yeah. Uh, before, like we were, we're dead before the ship even sank. They like both came out the in 07. 2007 package deal. Like you, I don't know who could possibly have owned one and not the other. I mean, also like James Mercer was on that modest mouse album on a couple songs. Like I, I, I I do think that in 20, 2022, may, 20, yeah, next year, maybe we do a 15th anniversary tour of those two together. Uh, you know, we get to hear Florida, them performing it as intended. Uh, That's a good song. Yeah, it's, like a good, it's a good song. But I think that, like, both of these bands, specifically, like, Modest Mouse, like, how, how fucking crazy is it that, like, Modest Mouse is, like, a radio rock institution now? Like... A new Modest Mouse song will be put on like 91X or whatever your local Clear Channel rock station will be because it's the new Modest Mouse song. And you'll hear it and it sounds not altogether different than like Imagine – not Imagine. It sounds more like Foster the People or Cold War Kids but like Modest Mouse flavored. I would – I think that's a good – I think that's how I would describe the new album. <laughs> well, like – you and, and- – you know, mentioning those two records in tandem, the the Shins record and the Modest Mouse record, the, those two that came out in 07, it seemed like that was the year that both bands put out their radio rock record. I mean, I, you know, obviously Modest Mouse put out Good News and that had flowed on on it, but I don't think that they necessarily conceived that thinking nah. that it was going to be a huge, uh, you know, multi-platinum hit. Whereas the that record, the you know, we were dead before yeah. the ship even sank, definitely was conceived yeah. in that way. It is interesting too, because I do hear from people for both bands that feel like those are their best records. And it, and, and that seems generational to me. Like there's a certain <laughs> age group that feels like, oh no, yeah, like that Modest Mouse record, you know, We Were Dead Before the Ship Even Sank, that's their best. 
Whereas someone like us, I feel like, would be like, no, Lonesome Crowded West is obviously their best work. You know, but that's like 10 years before yeah. this Radio Rock Prime. So it almost is like they have two different careers. Yeah. In a way. Well, which one is, which one's the best to you? Well, obviously Lonesome Crowded West for ah. me. I think that, I mean, maybe Moon in Antarctica would be number two. That's that's my um, number one. Like, I, I think that like Lonesome Crowded West is the most distinct. Like, that's, that is the one that you hear just echoes of it throughout Indie Rock and you know, Modest Mouse like has really been adopted by a lot of emo bands, but you know, Moon in Antarctica like that's the one. If you want to talk about like when 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 we were talking about Bon Iver last week, like I would think that would that album would do for people what the Moon in Antarctica did for me. That came out when I was like second or third year in college, and just like you know, get it like getting high and just having like my mind blown by the production and like thinking like this guy's got it all figured out. Like lo and behold, I had no idea he like. Was in the hospital because he's got it at because he got his ass kicked at a bar, you know. Yeah, well, and he talked about that in my interview, and, and this is like a well-known story about how you know they were recording that album in Chicago, and he got jumped by some neighborhood kids who broke his jaw, and his jaw was wired shut for several weeks, and he was basically in the studio just doing overdubs because there was nothing else for him to do, and that's why that record is so layered. Um, yeah, I mean, there is, I think, there's. To me, in my mind, there's there's a clear difference between like those first three albums of Modest Mouse and the records that they did afterward. And it seems, in my mind, the the main difference is that on those first three records, they were a trio. And like by Moon and Antarctica, they were already bringing in ancillary members. That's obviously a much more layered record. But you know, like shout out to Jeremiah Green. Oh yeah, who I think is like one of the greatest indie rock drummers of the last twenty five years. When I think about like my favorite Modest Mouse, I think about like the last five minutes of Trucker's Atlas, like when they're they're just jamming on this like minimal groove, and it's such a distinctive sound. And the chemistry that they had as a band, I think, is so unique and integral to those records. Like the the songwriting is great, but I think the sound of it is just as important. And if there's something lacking for me in these latter day Modest Mouse records, it's that there's so many people in the band now. I mean. Isaac Brock talked about them being a revolving door. Yeah. And he didn't mean that as a, usually you say that and it's not a compliment, but he looked at it as a positive. I mean, they're essentially like a collective that people come in, come in and out of. And it, it just seems a little more anonymous to me uh, than those early records. I saw an article about like written by somebody who was a huge Modest Mouse fan and like talked about the disappointment of like the newer stuff. And he said, it's like, whenever you see like a sixth guy on stage, for Modest Mouse, like, oh, great. Like, we can go to the bathroom now. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that, that's when you know they're going to play something from Strangers to Ourselves or something like that. But it's like they have like two drummers yeah. on stage and you know, it's like the, the Almond Brothers band or something up yeah. there. It's crazy. And then, you know, like Johnny Marr was in the band for yeah. several years, which is, which is really weird. Um, but, you know, there's some good songs on the new record, that song uh, We Are Between. That's a decent song. Yeah. I mean, it's a solid, like melodic radio rock song. Yeah. Um, and I think lyrically, there's some interesting things on there that connect with uh, the older material, mm. uh, you know, if there's a through line in in, in Modest Mouse's career, it's that Isaac Brock has always been skeptical <laughs> of technology and progress and, uh, you know, how that affects 
the environment and, and, and just, I guess, humanity in general. I mean, that was a big theme of the Lonesome Crowded West. Yeah. You can hear that on the moon in Antarctica. And that connects to the Golden Casket, again, in ways that are kind of quirky, mm. if I could put it that sure. way. <laughs> and, and, and conspiracy-minded. Yeah. But, uh, you know... As we move over to talking about the shins, yeah. <laughs> well, th- this conversation makes me think about like the legacy of like Pacific Northwest rock. Yeah, and I know the sh- I know the shins are originally from New Mexico, mm. but like they were on sub pop, and they sound like a band yeah. from the Pacific Northwest, and you know, and it just makes me wonder like is Built to Spill the most influential? band maybe of indie because they seem like the beginning yeah. of like a lot of this stuff and you can talk you talk about death cab for cutie and then you go up to like band of horses and fleet foxes that kind of beardy epic guitar yeah. oriented rock yeah i would say built to spill is definitely like one of the most influential especially since they're like the kind of origin for a lot of this stuff and also there there's that built to spill like fake pop punk song at the end of uh there's nothing wrong with love like i think for at least five years in philadelphia like that was what indie rock was you know like it sounds like built to spill and making a pop punk song so yeah it's 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 kind of crazy how like built to spill has you know created such a legacy but still like not the if you 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 wouldn't have them anchor a festival lineup yeah and they don't seem as famous even now as pavement or sonic Youth. well that's because like pavement went away you know built to spill still releases albums and you know i feel like maybe we need to have a built to spill episode at some point but oh that'd be great yeah 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 they're always reliable too you go yeah. see them and uh they're always pretty solid but uh the reason we're talking about the shins is yes. that it's the 10th anniversary what's well, a 20th anniversary 20th. of owen Geez, Louise, of O Inverted World, their yes. debut album. And Sub Pop is reissuing the record. I believe that's out today. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, I guess, is one of the big releases of, uh, of this week, which is a reissue of a 20-year-old record. Um, but, uh, yeah, this is an interesting record. Um, and... I mean, I, I I think it's one of the great indie rock records of, of 2001. And there were, of course, a lot of momentous albums that came out this year. Um, it's not necessarily a record, though, that you would have thought people would care about 20 years after the fact when it came out. Yeah, you would think it would have gotten crowded out by everything else that was going on in 2001, you know. And I'm not just talking about, like, the, you know, new rock revolution stuff that was happening later in that year with, you know, the Strokes and White Stripe and everything that surrounded 9-11, but... Um, they just seem like a band that kind of tied together this low key. This is okay. I think we need to like, just set the scene for how long 20 years ago was in like indie rock culture. Because like when we have like a conversation about like, you know, pop and so forth, like this is still when you were bands were still trying to sound like the Beatles and the beach boys. Like you had that whole like Beulah and Beachwood sparks and uh, you know, old of Montreal going on at the time. And this was just kind of more of like a doing that, but more of like a, almost like a Simon and Garfunkel sort of thing going on as well. It's kind of like that, you know, and we've talked about this in previous episodes about how like, like the influence of the sixties seems totally absent now from indie rock. Mm -hmm. And I think this was like the tail end of like the sixties still being important. It's like you still like in indie rock now, it's obviously so dominated by the 80s. Yeah. You know, the 80s and is the such 90s. a defined... And the 90s. Um, 
the 70s to some degree, but like the 60s, not at all. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you could still get like 60s influence sounding indie records in 2001 that were also getting a lot of traction uh, in terms of commercially and critically. Yeah. And this record to me, it's like, I mean, is it because of Garden State? Like, is that the reason there's, like, a 20th anniversary? Like, how big was this before Garden State? Which, by the way, I feel like I just need to admit the fact I've never actually seen that movie. That's crazy to me. Like, yeah. you were never at someone's house where it happened to be on. And I might have been, but, like, I'm watching it. I found out at work um, back in the back before COVID, like, I wasn't there at the time. But, like, when they would have dinner together, like, they would put on background music. And apparently it would just be the Garden State soundtrack on repeat, which I've also never sat down and listened to. Like, was I that much of, like, a, I don't know, like, was I that contrarian back in 2004 as well? I mean, you were... I, my memory of Garden State is that there was a grace period where okay. people saw that movie and they thought it was good. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, something tipped and people got annoyed with it or they realized that like the narrative had turned against it. Mm-hmm. And it was fun to like rip on that movie. Yeah. Um, I mean, it really is like a pre-social media phenomenon. Like if that movie came out like when Twitter was big... <laughs> I wonder, like, if the Shins would have had the career that they had. Because I think you're right. I mean, I think I had an O Inverted World. I remember when it came out. I saw the Shins. Yeah. I, uh, I, I saw them open I, up I for like, Modest Mouse. I saw them in 2001 uh, at the Black Hat in D.C. And it was seven, maybe like a 700 cap room. I saw Modest, I saw the Shins open for Modest Mouse. I do not remember a thing about that show. Maybe that's just more, <laughs> of, a, more of a reflection of, like, you know what I was doing at 21. Then <laughs> you're just partying, man. You're yeah. partying too hard, man. Yeah, yeah. That was like Moon in Antarctica era too. That was. That yes, would have been was. good. Yeah, no. I, I drove like five hours to see the Shins <laughs> at the 400 bar in Minneapolis when I was living in Wisconsin, um, and I loved it. I thought it was a great show. But yeah, they definitely blew up in a mainstream kind of way because of Garden State and. I just think like if that movie had come out when Twitter was big and because I think the tide would have turned against it much quicker. It just makes me think that like if that movie came out when uh, Twitter was big, that maybe the Shins wouldn't have had the career that they had because they would have been sunk by the association. People (laughs) would have played that scene with Natalie Portman and Zach Braff and just rolled their eyes, which they do now, but they didn't do that immediately after that movie came out. Again, there was this grace period where... That movie was kind of cool for a little mm. while, I think, and then it, and then people hated it after that. So there definitely is a version of Garden State that's happening right now. We just probably don't see it, and there is going to be a, I don't know, the equivalent of the uh, new slang needle drop, but we just don't know it right now. It, 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 if there's any theme of this episode, it's the way that you know, future generations just react to whatever the 25-year-olds thought was cool at that time. And I think with The Shins, what what, what stands out to me when I listen to the, this record and also like Shoots Too Narrow, which I guess you would call the Imperial fa- the imperial Indie phase of them, um, like what, like, is there any Shins influence happening at this point? Well, I was going to turn this question to you because I wonder if, Owen Verdant World, if that came out today, would that be classified 
as an emo record. If not you if know? it's on Sub Pop. <laughs> well, okay, but let's say maybe they wouldn't put it out. Maybe it would have been on Run for Cover, you know, oh, if it came Lord. out uh, in 2001. Because you have a high-pitched vocalist. Okay. You have, you know, emotional, relationship-oriented lyrics. It's Especially that first record, it's like a pretty scrappy DIY-sounding rock record. I mean, like, the, the, the distance between that record and, like, say, Joyce Manor, <laughs> isn't that big except Joyce Manor's songs are just much shorter but like you know Joyce Manor has a similar lineage lineage to uh the Shins in that like you know they come from that like sort of GBV 90s indie rock thing like Joyce Manor has that in their blood yeah. too so i just i think that um they would maybe be in the emo camp now if they if this record came out. Okay, now. and I'm going to prove you right because i am looking back at the original Pitchfork review and i want you to guess what score they got. 8.0? Correct. <laughs> <laughs> there so, you go. Yeah, I feel like that was just like a long setup. But, you know, the thing, like the comparison with like the Shins and Modest Mouse to me is that, um, you know, Modest Mouse, you can totally hear when a band is Modest Mouse influenced. Like when they do the uh, harmonics with the whammy bar or they do like kind of a quasi disco sort of beat happening. But with like the Shins, you're right in that it's like, I mean, there was a period of time when you had, like, Shins clones. Like, I got to give a shout-out to Rogue Wave. Like, oh, yeah. th- those first two records are, like, pretty clearly, like, sub-pop trying to find, trying to find like, you know, a B-team Shins and maybe, like, Seawolf or uh, maybe early Someone Still Loves You, Boris Yeltsin. I mean, there was a... It, I, I think that those are, like those are the bands that I oftentimes think of as like definitive of an era, not because like they're the greatest bands of that era, but it's because you can tell a lot more about a period of time by like the bands that are getting picked up, like in the same way that you're going to hear uh, a lot of snail mail sound alikes uh, right now. I mean, I think with the shins, like their brand was basically catchy guitar pop. That yeah. Is presented in a way that is supposed to be timeless. Yeah. Like you hear that record and yeah, you think of the Beach Boys and maybe you think of more melodic the, yeah, strains of like nineties indie rock. Whatever. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's always gonna be bands that go back to that. I mean you can think look at a band like Second Grade, for instance, from re- really good Philadelphia band who I don't know if they like the shins at all. You know, mm-hmm. but they have a similar aesthetic where you hear their records and it's like, oh, this is like classic pop rock songwriting. You know, they're going back to the well of like that great 60s, 70s, uh, you know, just melodic, almost like power pop type music. Yeah. And uh, so, and that's hard to pin on any one band, but you know, the Shins are part of that lineage, I think. Do you like, what do you prefer, the first record or the second record, Shoots Too Narrow? Um, I think Shoots Too Narrow, like, I have a more of a personal attachment to it because, like, I was... Uh, there's just, like, I, I suppose a difference when an album is highly anticipated. Um, I kind of wore that one out at that time. I would say that O oh, Inverted World is the one I might go to a bit more often. But I think, yeah, Shoots Too Narrow, I think St. Simon is their best song. Um, I do... I also think, like that there's like a meanness to this record shoots too narrow that I yet gets understated because like you don't really quote Shin's lyrics too much, but you know, mine's not a high horse, uh, you know, gone for good or what, or fighting in a sack. I mean, like those are like James Mercer, low key, kind of an angry dude. And I just like how that, uh, cuts against, I guess the, uh, you know, the shininess of the melodies to the point like, cause 
in a way, oh, inverted world, I just kind of vibe out to that. But Shoots Too Narrow is the one that um, I think of more as like when I connect with personally. I have to go back to Shoots Too Narrow. I always felt like, because I was such a, I loved oh, inverted world when it came out. So I actually had an opposite reaction where I felt like the second record was a little underwhelming to me just uh. because I love the first one so much. And I, I still think it's a really good record. I always thought the production was like a little too precious. Mm. Like I, I like the scrappiness of the first record. Right. It sounds like a little more lo-fi. Um, I don't want to say it rocks. It's not a rocking record, but it's like a little, like the guitars are like are not quite as polished. And I think I like that aspect to it. Like songs like Know Your Onion and uh, uh, Press in a Book, like those kind of songs. It's almost like closer to Weezer on that first record than they became, which is more of like an orchestral pop almost sound on Shoots to Narrow. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Both those records are really good. And the records they did after that, I don't really care about as much, but they've gone on to Wincing the Night Away. I mean, it's got, it's got its moments. Like, you just have to respect it in the same way that you would, um, I guess, like in the 90s. Like, that to me, if UCD stores would exist, it's like, that's the sort of one that maybe you would see in UCD stores. And I mean that right. as a compliment. It would be like the... the it's their the, monster? Is that their monster? more like their file under easy listening yeah <laughs> anyway i don't know owen voted world i think is a classic i still oh, love that totally. record yeah. if you don't know that record go check it out there's a new reissue i think you'll really love it All right, we've now reached the part of our episode that we call Recommendation Corner, where Ian and I recommend something that we're into this week. Ian, why don't you go first? All right, so I want to bring the attention to a band called Me Rex. Um, they put out some really strong EPs back in 2020, Triceratops and Stegosaurus. Uh, they're a band from the UK, kind of a combination of Frightened Rabbit and Los Campesinos, that sort of talky, very referential lyricism. So they're putting out their first album. It's called Mega Bear. And this is like one of the more ambitious and unusual album concepts I've seen in years. It is 52 tracks that are at the same BPM and meant to be put on shuffle. It, and so, and it also has like kind of this quasi tarot deck that comes along with it, but it's a, kind of an experiment in songwriting where they have like verses and choruses and bridges, all kind of that fit together and you put it on shuffle it's going on streaming uh, today, and I have no idea what it's going to look like on Spotify. But um, you know, right now it's fifty-two separate tracks. There are ones that like kind of put songs together for you know for single purposes. Uh, I think that this band will probably put out a lot of interesting music going forward. But like, I think that this is just one of the coolest experiments. And plus, the songs are great. You know, if this if this style of album release doesn't um, resonate with you, I'd also highly recommend going back to Triceratops and Stegosaurus and Flood before then. This is like the modern day Zyrica, it sounds yes, like. Yes, yes. You know, it's, it's the Zyrica, the streaming age, the you know, the old Flaming Lips record. Uh, very, I've, I've read about that record. I'm very curious to check it out. Um, I have to do a shout out to a band that we haven't talked about enough on this show, but we will be, I think, in uh, the months ahead mm -hmm. because they're, I think... Uh, a definite indie cast mascot band. Uh, it's Gang of Youths. Uh, they have a new single out this week. It's called "The Angel of a of Eighth Avenue," which is yes. a great Gang of Youths song title. Yes. Um, and I 
have a feeling that there's going to be more music from this band coming soon. So uh, we'll, I'm sure I have more to talk about uh, in in the near future. But definitely check out this single. It is basically, I, th- I, th- I think it's a great introduction to the band because it, it sounds like the most Gang of You song <laughs> sounding song ever. Like it, it just incorporates all the elements that are really good about this band. Very anthemic, uh, great vocal. Uh, you know, it, it builds to this sweeping crescendo that lifts you up and makes you want to get with people and hug them and which we can do now, I suppose, since we're yeah. all getting vaccinated. Um, but yeah, this is, this is a great band. And you know, they're Australian. Again, I, they're yeah, another Australian uh, connection for us. And look, you know, I've written a lot about this band. I gotta say, if you have not yet checked out their 2017 record, "Go Farther in Lightness," do it now. You will, if you like this show, you will love that album. Yeah, I'm also a fan of the previous record, "The Positions." I know Dave from the band, the main songwriter. He does not like that record, but I think it's pretty great. Um, so yeah, so definitely dig into this single. It's a great song. Uh, and yeah, looking forward to more from Gang Abuse. All right, so that about does it for this episode of IndieCast. We'll be back with more news, reviews, and hashing out trends next week. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie, and I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box.